Okay, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we are going to finish Jeremiah. Um, perhaps even as close to next week. But this morning we find ourselves in Jeremiah chapter 42. 42 and... Um, why don't we pray? Father, we thank you again for your word. It ministers to us, and we pray that that would happen again, over and over again. We have to be careful to hear what the word of God says to us in every application of our lives. We thank you that we have the privilege here in this country to uh, expositorily teach the word of God in its truth, as it confronts the society that we live in. And though we look at a man who ministered for you over 2,600 years ago, uh, the story this morning jumps out at the pages as us and makes it totally relevant. So may that happen this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From time to time, we come to a place in our lives where we come to a fork in the road, we need to make a decision which way we're going to go. What are we going to do? What should we do with this situation? You say, well, what do you mean? Well, here, let's, let's bring it down to earth, okay? After church, you're at Costco, okay? You're coming out, you're loaded up, and you come up to where the cashiers are. Important decision. Which line are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the line with the older lady who's frantically, confusingly looking in her purse? Or do you choose the line with the young mother with two out-of-control grade schoolers, boys? (laughs) Or perhaps do you choose the line with the man with the large screen TV that's on the cart? Important choices, because it could determine the rest of the afternoon. (laughs) Well, I'm just joking there. But seriously, life often brings us to a place where we have to say, what should I do? What should I do in this situation? Now, the context of our story is, we, if you've been with me for a while, the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed, the Babylonians have left, and they've left in place a caretaker government under a guy called Gedaliah. However, the last time we were together before Easter, Gedaliah was overthrown, that government was thrown out, and now the people are left in the land, and they're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do now? What should we do? Should we stay here? And if we stay here, maybe the Babylonians will come and take retribution because we've, we've gotten rid of their caretaker government that they left in place. Gedaliah's dead. He was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar. Should we stay here or maybe we should go, to, go down to Egypt, our ally, where it's safe and there'll be food and no war. What should we do? What should we do? Matter of fact, in verse 3, we'll see as we read it in just a minute, they come to Jeremiah and they say, what should we do? Ask the Lord. Okay. Now we can also, all of us, understand their dilemma, can't we? Let me paint a kind of serious scenarios that could happen. You're working for a company, and you've got this quote from this, uh, from this customer of yours. And the boss is encouraging you to be less than honest with the quote. 
But if you're less than honest with a quote, that'll mean work for the whole company, maybe for six or seven months, and a rather large commission check for you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Or perhaps um, you and your family have been feuding with another family, perhaps in the neighborhood or perhaps even in the church. There's been a feud. There's been an offense committed. And the other family or the other person has come up to you and they said, well, we're sorry. Uh, We didn't mean to do what happened. Would you forgive us? And you really don't want to forgive them. You're so hurt. You're so angry at what they've done. There's no way you want to forgive them. Be reconciled to them. Even though they've asked for forgiveness. What should you do? Perhaps another scenario. You're being drawn to this other person. In a relationship that you know doesn't honor the Lord. And yet your heart of hearts tells you that you really maybe should go that way. What do you do? How do you respond? So we can understand the dilemma, because oftentimes we found ourselves in many, some of the situations perhaps that I've detailed, or perhaps something else. And here's the catch in the get-along, or the hitch in the get-along. Oftentimes, we kind of know what we want to do even before we ask the Lord. We kind of have a, uh, this is what I'd really like to do. Well, that's why I, uh, my introduction is, is tapered to this particular issue because um, Israel is trying to decide, the remnant is trying to decide what they should do. They come to Jeremiah and ask him, would you seek the Lord? And Maybe the Lord will tell us what we should do. And what I want to do is I want to look at it from two sides. I want to look at it from their side, how they dealt with this situation. But I also want to look at it from God's side. Because God, (laughs) here's the thing about God. The Lord never changes. (laughs) He never changes. Okay? So, in looking at both sides of the story, my hope is that we might get some insight (laughs) and some help To do what the word of the Lord tells us to do. So let's take a look. It's two chapters. I know there's a lot of uh, verses here, but we'll take it in small bites. Um, You've heard that phrase, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So we've got a few verses here, but we'll take it. Let's look at verses one through six first. Follow along with me as I read. Then the commanders of the forces, Johanna, the son of Korea, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people, both small and great, approached and said to Jeremiah, the prophet, please let our petition come before you and pray for us to the Lord your God. That is, for all this remnant, because we are left, and, but there's a few out of many, as your own eyes can see, the Lord your God may tell us the way in which we should walk. And the thing that we should do. Hmm, pretty good. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I am going to pray to the Lord your God in accordance with your words. And I will tell you the whole message 
which the Lord will answer you. I will not keep a word back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with the whole message with which the Lord your God will send you to us. Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. Verses 1 through 6. We see they agreed in principle with God's word. They agreed in principle with God's word. Someone told me, when anybody begins a sentence with the, with the phrase, uh, I agree with you in principle, <laughs> watch out, because you're not going to like the second half of the sentence. And what we see here is they say, go, ask the Lord what we should do. However, you've got to understand kind of where they're at. In order to understand that, you have to look at the last two verses of chapter 41. Verses 17 and 18. The people have settled in Bethlehem. Notice what it says in the latter half of the verse. In order, in order to proceed to Egypt. You see that? Now, it explains the situation. Because the Chaldeans, verse 18, they were afraid of them. Since Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Achim, whom the king of Babylon had appointed over the land. So what had happened is the government had been overturned that had been established by the Babylonians. And they were thinking, oh, those Chaldeans might come and get us. So what are we going to do? And they were thinking, well, go to Egypt. Now, Egypt at that time was Israel's ally. They'd be welcome there. They'd be safe. No more famine, no more swords. They'd be great. So in their mind, they're thinking, let's go down to Egypt. But they come to Jeremiah and say, what should we do? These verses look good, don't they? We're going to obey. They ask. Jeremiah says, what you ask, I'm going to tell you everything that God tells me. I'm going to give you God's word. And then they say, hey, listen, when you come, we will listen. (laughs) Whether it's good, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, we're with you. We believe in God's word. We want to honor God's word in our lives. All sounds great. Amen. Looks pretty good. But in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, we probably should go to Egypt. Okay, that's the scenario. Got it? Okay. Let's take a look at the the next verses. Verse 7 and following. Now at the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he called Johanna, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces that were with him, and all the people, small and great. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If indeed... You will stay in this land. I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. I will relent concerning the calamity I have afflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I will also show you compassion 
so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your own soil. Verse 13. But, if you're not going to stay, if you're going to say, well, we'll not stay in this land so as to listen to the voice of the Lord our God, saying, no, but we will go down into the land of Egypt where we will not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there. Then in case, then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you really set your mind to enter Egypt and go in and reside there, then the sword which you are afraid of will overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine about which you are anxious will, will follow closely after you there in Egypt, and you will die there. So that all the men who set their mind to go to Egypt to reside there will die by the sword, by famine and pestilence, and they will have no survivors or refugees from the calamity that I'm about to bring on them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and wrath have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you enter Egypt, and you will become a curse, an object of horror, imprecation, and reproach, and you will see this place no more. That's the word of the Lord. Then in verse 19, Jeremiah begins to speak. The Lord has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah. Do not go into Egypt. You should clearly understand that today I have testified against you. For you have only deceived yourselves, for it is you who sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and whatever the Lord our God says, tell us, and we will do it. So I have told you today, but you have not obeyed the Lord your God, even in what he has sent me to tell you. Therefore, you should now clearly understand that you will die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence, in the place where you wish to go to reside. Verses 7 through 22, we see God's word has blessings, curses, and brings discernment. Blessings and curses and brings discernment. This is God's side. Now the story progresses. Jeremiah brings the answer in about 10 days that they had promised to obey. They had promised to obey what God's word said to them. What, however, is the word of God? It's not in general terms in principle, not in general terms in principle, but it actually pertains to their particular situation, which they've laid out. It's not in general now, but it's very specific to what they're facing and the crisis that they find themselves in. What's the word? Well, let's take a look. Verses 10 through 12. Blessings. Blessings. If they stay in the land, he'll build them up. I'll plant you, verse 10. Verse 11, don't be afraid of the king. I'll protect you. And I'll give you compassion so that he will give you compassion and you'll be restored to your land. If they would trust him, if they would obey the Lord, blessings. Isn't that not what the passage tells us? That's what it tells us. However, <laughs> verses 13 through 18. Secondly, curses. If they don't trust the Lord, 
if they don't obey him. He'll not protect him. As a matter of fact, in verse 16, it says, the sword which you are afraid of is going to come after you and get you. And the famine that you're trying to run away from will come upon you in Egypt. These verses remind me of another passage. Do you remember what passage it is? Blessings and cursing. Do you remember Deuteronomy chapter 28? If you've never read Deuteronomy chapter 28, you ought to read it. Deuteronomy 28. They're just about to enter into the land. you remember that? And Moses has a word for them. Deuteronomy is the last sermon of Moses before he dies to the children of Israel. Let me read you a few passages. Deuteronomy 28. Verse 1. This is Moses speaking just before the people went into the land. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. I'll bless you. Blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Blessings shall be in the city. Bless you shall be in the country. Blessed shall be your offspring of your body. Blessed shall be your basket and your work. Blessed you shall be when you go in, and blessed you shall be when you come out. However, (laughs) verse 15, it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, cursed shall you be in this city, Cursed shall you be in the land. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be your offspring. Cursed shall you shall be when you go in. And cursed shall you shall be when you go out. Now you're saying, well, that's all Old Testament stuff, Neil. That's just, you know, Old Testament stuff. No, 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 no. From the very first book in the Bible to the very last book in the Bible. The message is that God longs to be a blessing. He longs to comfort us and watch over and protect us. However, if we don't trust him and if we don't obey him, curses. Now, you say, well, where does that say in the New Testament? Well, okay, I'm glad you asked that. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, this he will reap. If he sows to the flesh, corruption. If he sows to the spirit, eternal life and blessings. Amen. So, that's the first two parts. There's blessings and curses. But did you notice what Jeremiah says in verse 19? He picks up on it. And he is given discernment. Did you see that? Verse 22, he says... Therefore, you should now clearly understand that you will die by the sword. You, you've already made it your mind what you're going to do. You've already made it on your mind. He has discerned exactly what they're going to do. Now, here's a phrase I puzzled a bit all week. Look at verse 20. For you have only deceived yourself. Huh. What does that mean? Deceive yourself. How are they deceiving themselves? I thought about that. Well, it could be that uh, they're thinking, well, okay, uh, we hear the word of the Lord, but uh, I think God will maybe bless this trip down to Egypt. <laughs> maybe he'll allow me to go down to Egypt, to Dallas, or go there. It could be that. Or it could be, 
when they have that mindset that um, they don't see the truth. They can't hear the truth. Now, thought comes into mind. Do you remember David? Now we always go back to David and Bathsheba. That's, you know, a classic case. And you're thinking, David's a man after God's own heart. Amen? That's what the Bible says about him, right? How could he do what he did to Uriah, his, his friend? His, 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 God was serving him in the army. How could he do that? How could he do such a dash? How, how could a man of God do such a thing? How could he do that? Well, I was listening to one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. And he said, oftentimes, especially in that area, when we're tempted, there comes a place when we make that decision that the, um, the Spirit of God doesn't leave us, but the conviction kind of departs from us. And we'll find ourselves doing things that we can't believe because we can't hear the truth. We're deceived. We don't, we don't see it. It's just not there because we've gone a little... And he, says, he said, Pastor Swindell said, you kind of cross a line. This is, this is here. This is, I want to do it. I want to do it. And there's a certain point when you cross that line, there's no more recognition of the Spirit of God speaking to you. You're deceived. Mm-hmm. perhaps that's what he means well I think we'll get a better idea uh, when we get further on so they agree in principle with God's word and when God's word comes to them it has blessings curses and also brings discernment to Jeremiah about what they're really going to do well let's see what happens chapter 43 verses 1 through 7 let's take a look But as soon as Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent, had finished telling all the people all the words which the Lord their God, that is, all these words, Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, and Johanna, the son of Korea, and all, here's the phrase, the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you are not to enter Egypt to reside there. But Baruch, and that was Jeremiah's fellow friend and helper, the son of Neriah, is inciting you against us to give us over to the hand of the Chaldeans so they will put us to death or exile us to Babylon. So Johanna, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to stay in the land of Judah. But Johanna, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces took the entire remnant of Judah who had returned from all the nations to which they had been driven away in order to reside in the land of Judah, the men, the women, the children, the king's daughters, and every person that Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Achim, the grandson of Shapan, together with Jeremiah and the prophet Baruch, and Baruch, the son of Neriah, and they entered the land of Egypt, and they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and went in as far as Tapanes. Verses 1 through 7 of chapter 43, they disagreed when it specifically applied to their plans. (laughs) When Jeremiah finishes speaking, the leaders respond to him saying, what? (laughs) You lie. And they prove that his discernment was spot on. Spot on. He knew what they were going to do. 
Now, look what happens. Now, here's where I begin to see, oh, here's where verse 20, they were deceived. They conjure up this plot. No, no, you're lying. Baruch and you are trying to get us so that we're taken captive into Babylon or we'll, we'll die there. They don't even see it. It goes right over their head. They're totally deceived. Some sort of plot. And then everyone is dragged down into Egypt. And, <laughs> and they drag, I imagine, Jeremiah and Baruch kicking and screaming all the way <laughs> across the Sinai into Egypt. Okay, what do we see here? A couple of things. They agreed in principle, in principle once again, that God's word should direct their life. Yes, that's what we believe. But they rejected the word of the Lord when it applied to their plans and their crisis. They appeared strong in faith at first, but actually they were anemic and weak in their faith and trust in God. Now, in my 30 years of ministry, 25 years here as the senior pastor, I have seen this happen over and over again. People will come to me and ask, what should we do? And I'm honored that you would ask me. Or I've had to take some folks and give them a little correction, perhaps. And I have to be honest, in most cases I try, if I'm going to say something, somebody asks me what should I do, and I have to kind of give a mid-course correction, if we could say it that way. I would try to have chapter and verse. Chapter and verse, right here. There it is. This is what the Bible says to your condition. And I have to say that over the years, many times, just didn't turn out the way I thought it was. They, uh, they had it in their mind to do what they wanted to do. Now, I could review some of them, but it would only be a catharsis for me to make me feel better. It wouldn't help you at all. And the reason I won't review them, because I see the same thing working in my life. (laughs) I see the same thing working in my life. And when I want to do something... And I really want to do it. I can find, I can try and find almost any kind of excuse to get away with it and to do it myself. Have you not seen that in yourself? Come on, say yes, Pastor Neil. I see the same thing in my life. Oh, yes, I honor God's word. And we come to a church where they preach God's word. But the question is, do you really believe God's word? It's not in theoretical. It's when your crisis has hit you and you must decide. Are you going to listen to the word of the Lord now or are you going to do what you want? That's where the rubber hits the road. Is that not true? Of course it is. Are 
Are we, as Jeremiah says, when we're in our crisis, are we deceiving ourselves? Well, let's use a couple of examples. Now, as Greg spoke here, we all believe in the sanctity of human life, don't we? We're evangelicals. We're Bible believers. We believe that. Amen? Is that not true? Of course we We believe in the sanctity of human life. We believe that abortion is wrong. It's the killing of an innocent child. Conception is the beginning of life. Do not we, do not we believe that? Isn't that what the Word of God says? Yeah, that's right. However, here's where push comes to shove. When your 16-year-old daughter ends up pregnant, oh, now we're going to see how pro-life you are. How pro-life you are. And why is it that on every given Saturday, many of the people who enter into those abortion clinics are Catholics, and many of them are evangelicals. Why is that? Oh, we believe in God's word. But how do you you really, really believe? Do you really, really trust the Lord? Or when you're in that crisis, when you're being in that pinch, how do you respond? That's where the rubber meets the road, my friend. Or let's, let's do another one. How about DOM? You know what DOM is? Defense of Marriage Act. Okay? That was signed into law by the president, President Bush, remember? A couple of years ago. But now our current attorney general and our current president has decided not to prosecute any, not to stand for those. You've seen that. Well, we're just indignant. I can't believe. We're, my heavens, let's march. Let's get the signs out. Come on, guys. Defense of marriage. We evangelicals, we believe in the defense of marriage. Is that not true? Of course it is. Well, let me ask you a question. Evangelical church, Catholic church, how do you really believe? Are you in defense of your marriage? How about your marriage? When things begin to go a little bit south, How do we do there? And why is it that divorce is rampant in the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church? We honor God's Word. Oh, yes, we do. We love God's Word. We love the teaching of God's Word. As long as it doesn't impinge on what I personally want to do with my life. I'm afraid oftentimes the American Church looks a lot like the body that existed in Jeremiah's day. And I think we've come to the heart, now listen carefully, at the heart of why the evangelical church is so weak and anemic. Because we say, in principle, we honor God's word. But in the crisis of our lives we go ahead and do what we want Hmm. well it's really getting quiet in here (laughs) but I my friends I don't have a vindictive heart okay guys I looked at this passage and I said to myself 
What else am I going to do with this thing? Woe to the people who come to church. Okay, let's close the chapter, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah at Tapanes, saying, Take some large stones in your hands and hide them under the mortar in the brick terrace, which is at the entrance of Pharaoh's place, palace in Tapanes, in the sight of some of the Jews. And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am going to send and get Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I am going to set his throne right over these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his canopy over them. He will also come and strike the land of Egypt. Those who are meant for death will be given over to death, and those for captivity to captivity, and those to the sword to the sword. And they shall set fire to the temple of God, the temples of God in Egypt, and he will burn them and take them captive. So he will wrap himself with the land of Egypt like a shepherd wraps himself with his garment, and he will depart from there safely. He will also shatter the obelisks of Heropolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he will burn with fire. Verses 8 through 13, we see God's word offers no protection with this response. No protection. The very thing that they feared came upon them. The very thing that they feared. The sword followed them into Egypt. The famine, the pestilence followed them right down. There was no protection when we take that response. God lifts his hand of protection from us. You're saying, well, where do you see that, Neil? Well, I see it there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a terrible thing happening in the church and Paul writes about it. It's a man who was having an affair with his stepmom. Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and you have not mourned instead so that one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this. And though I were present in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you were assembled, I with you in spirit, in the power of the Lord Jesus, have decided, here's the phrase, to deliver such a one to Satan. To deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus. What is Paul saying? I'm going to remove my protection from him. I'm going to push him out, out from underneath the protection of the Lord and the church so that his flesh might be destroyed so that his soul might be saved. That's what he's saying. He knew what he was doing wrong. He did it anyway. And when he did it, Paul wanted him pushed out from underneath the protection of the Lord. One more piece of good news here. How about Philippians 4.19? Let's get happy. Come on, Neil. Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Don't you love that? Isn't that a wonderful... God's going to eat everyone who needs. Now, we always, always qualify it by saying, now remember, Pastor, it says needs, not wants. I know you're going to say that. That's not the point. Why does Paul say to the Philippian church, God is going to supply all your needs? 
What gives him the right to say that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. Here's, remember context. Whenever you look at a verse, you say, what's the context, right? We know that because we're good Bible teachers and Bible believers. Look at verse 15 and 16. He's writing to the same church. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving of gifts. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. What is he saying? Because you were that kind of giving, supportive church, I can say to you now with confidence that my God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. Is that not what he's saying? What does that mean? That means if we don't buy into the whole idea that we are to be giving and supporting of, of God's work, that verse 19 does not apply to us. Am I being unduly harsh? No, I don't think so. I think that's what he's saying. That promise in 419 is really applicable to those who are doing verses 15 and 16. I hope my exegesis is wrong, but I don't think it is. I think that's the point he's making. But let me paraphrase going back to our passage. Here's the heart of the Lord. Listen to the heart of the Lord. If you indeed trust me and obey me, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. Don't be afraid of your enemies, for I am here to save you and deliver you. And I will show compassion on you and I will restore you to your own land. That is the heart of the Lord towards his people. Okay, well, I've gone way over. Sunday school is going to be mad at me. Okay, we need to stop being yeah, but Christians. Yeah, but. You know what yeah, but is? When I had teenagers, I'd tell my kids to do something. <laughs> and you know what I get? Yeah, but. Yeah, but means, uh, yeah, dad, I heard you, but I'm gonna, here's the reason I'm going to do what I want. Yeah, but, yeah, but. Any, any other parents of teenagers? Yeah, 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 but, yeah, but. Well, at the, after a while, I, you know what I said? <laughs> I said, I don't want to hear any more yeah, buts. No more yeah, buts. All I want to hear is, yes, dad. <laughs> That's all I want to hear. It's Christians. You know what? Oftentimes, we're yeah, but. Yeah, we honor your word, Lord. But here's what I'm really going to do. You know what the Lord wants to hear? The Lord wants to hear us say what that young man, very young man, his name was Samuel. Remember? What did he say? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Somebody asked you what you heard in church this morning, told them, I learned that I should listen to what the Lord says. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the patience of my people this morning in listening to your pastor. And may the word of God speak to our hearts. May you minister to us, to each one of us, in Jesus' name. Amen.